Section 5 of Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Priscilla Hunter, Chapter 5, Attains to the Speech-Making Era. Don't suppose that there were not in our church those who met Miss Priscilla halfway with eager hearts and open pockets. There were many who felt as she did, and who knew the meaning of sacrifice, in trifling ways indeed, but it is the trifling sacrifices that pinch. One can do a great thing now and then that he knows people will admire even though he has no such selfish motive in doing it. Still it helps and cheers to know that an appreciative world looks on and says, that was well done. But to go without a new dress all winter, to go to church and to society, and occasionally to a tea party, wearing the cashmere or alpaca that has done duty as best for two years, and do it for the sake of the church, and say nothing about it, and know that people are ignorant of the reason, and feel that they are wondering whether you are aware that your dress really begins to look rusty, that is sacrifice. There were those young couples who quietly gave up the money laid aside for concert tickets and lecture tickets, and even a new book now and then, gave them up with a little sigh to be sure, and yet they hid even the sigh from each other, and said cheerily, It is only for one winter. When we get out of debt we shall feel so much better. Such people had faith in Miss Priscilla. They believed that the debt would be paid. Weren't they helping to the best of their ability with prayerfully enlightened consciences? There were those who went down lower than that, and cut off the meat bill, and had hashes for dinner oftener, and codfish balls, and now and then baked potatoes and milk gravy and no meat at all, or apology for meat, because they wanted the church debt paid. Such people knew it would be paid. There were tender little places, too, in Miss Priscilla's work. There was a mother who sat and thought, after she had given her little contribution, all she could afford, and wiped the tears that dropped slowly down her cheeks, and Miss Priscilla waited and wondered, and felt not at liberty to go, lest there was something left unsaid that this mother wanted to say. And finally the mother arose hastily and went to her bureau drawer, and unlocked it, and drew from under piles of clothes a little box, and unlocked that with a tiny key she carried, and drew forth, what? A gold chain and clasps? A diamond ring? A jeweled bracelet? Oh, no! A little wooden Noah's Ark, with the paint fresh on the animals, and a look of newness about it all, though it had lain there for months. This was my little Jamie's, she said, he had it only a day or two before he went away. He loved it best of anything he had, and he was so careful as he handled it that there isn't a spot on anything, nor a scratch. I never could bear to think of any other fingers touching it. But I believe I'll give it to you, and you can put it on that toy table you are going to have for the children. Put Jamie's name on it, and maybe somebody will buy it for his sake." He would like to be counted in with the children if he were here, and he shall, the darling. And then the mother broke down utterly and wept in bitterness of soul because of the aching emptiness of her mother heart. 
and the father looked on with quivering lip and eyes that dimmed constantly, and presently he drew his old-fashioned silver watch from his pocket, unfastened the black cord, and drew from it a silver half-dollar with a hole drilled in it. Here, he said with husky voice, I will not let you do all the sacrificing, Mary. This is Jamie's half-dollar. He had it when he was a baby, and he wore it for a watch as long as he lived. I have worn it since, but I shall give it as Jamie's share towards the church. And he dropped the shining thing into the box with Noah's ark, and then walked to the window and turned his back on them both, and leaned his head on the glass, and struggled for calmness. And that was sacrifice. God bless you, murmured Miss Priscilla, and her voice was choked so that she could say no more. Indeed, she had no more to say. She went away at once, went home to her own little, dark room. She threw off her bonnet and her rubbers, and then she laid the box on her poor little bed, and opened it, and got down before it, and she said, O oh Lord, thou seest this Noah's ark and this half-dollar. Thou knowest little Jamie, he is safe in thine arms this minute. Here are his gifts to our church. Lord, bless Jamie's gift. Bless his father and mother with a blessing that shall be pressed down and running over in their hearts. And bless our church, thy church, Lord, bought with thy precious blood. Honor our efforts, forgive our mistakes, forgive the efforts that we don't make, and make it all end for thy glory. Amen. After that, Miss Priscilla knew that the cause was won. So the winter passed. Not for one day did this woman's faith or feet falter, or her courage fail. She tramped and talked and planned and worked and saved and prayed, and finally presented herself one morning at the door of the First National Bank, and with brisk movements produced from her pocket the note that Mr. Merchant had given her, made out according to his humor precisely as she had dictated. Payable the 27th day of April, 18 blank, at 10 o'clock a.m. Read that, she said briefly. Remember it? I do certainly, Miss Hunter. All right, then. It's the 27th day of April, I suppose you know, and it is 10 o'clock a.m., and here I am, waiting. But there is a clause to the note that you overlook. I was not to be asked for it, you will remember, unless the entire sum of $5,000 had been collected. How do you know I overlook it? My eyesight is good, when I get on my glasses, and my memory is without them. It's all right, of course, or I wouldn't be here. Count out your three hundred, if you please, for I am in a tremendous hurry. There is a great deal to do today. I shall not attempt to describe to you the dazed way in which Mr. Merchant retired behind his desk, and the puzzled air with which he said, as he handed Miss Priscilla the three hundred dollars in crisp bank notes, I've no doubt this is all right, Miss Hunter. I would trust you with my entire purse, you know. Of course it is, she said, answering the first part of the sentence. I shall be after that money for the heathen in a few days. Now it is time they were looked after. 
I want to leave it as long as I can, though, for the sake of the interest. And then she tramped off. In a marvelously short time after this payment was made, considering the number of things that were done in the interim, there came a day when the entire congregation of our church was called together on a weekday to hear a report concerning the church debt. There was never a fuller meeting of our congregation. All the people from the country were there, and all the children were there, and those who had been for some time too feeble to go to church were there, and a general air of expectation prevailed. The meeting was called to order, and Mr. Merchant was elected chairman. His opening speech was not a brief one. He referred to the church debt, which certainly everybody knew about. He dwelt on the disgrace which it had been to them for so long, which everybody understood. He referred to their sister, Miss Priscilla Hunter, and the self-sacrificing spirit which she had shown, and the marvelous work which she had accomplished. And he did not hear how that self-sacrificing sister, who sat way back in a dark corner of the church under the gallery, muttered to herself, Bah, leave that part out so he continued to enlarge upon it, till she declared afterwards that if it hadn't been for fear of helping to contract another church debt, she would have jumped through the stained-glass window. But at last he did reach the actual report. Debt, $5,462. Every child in the church knew these figures. Received on subscription, $4,420. Proceeds from Young Ladies Fund, donated voluntarily, $287. Proceeds from chickens, butter, eggs, milk, cabbage, potatoes, cheese, pork, and other articles of produce, donated by our country friends, and sold by Miss Hunter at the highest market prices, $132. Proceeds from livery horses not hired, and oysters not bought, and wines not ordered by our young men, $217. Proceeds from smoke, $169.80. Children's fund, earned by themselves in the Penny Club, $324.36. Proceeds from work done for the benefit of the heathen, $269.35. This amount, Mr. Merchant proceeded to explain, he was instructed by their sister Hunter to say, had been raised in the confident expectation that there would be some in our church, who, in refusing to provide for their own household, would be worse than the heathen, according to scripture. But she desired to take this occasion to offer her apology for having thought so meanly of her brethren and sisters it had come to pass that the heathen had all been converted. Not one remained in their borders, not a name in the entire congregation but was represented on the subscription list. Therefore, the sum total of this collection is $5,819.51, leaving a surplus in the treasury of $357.51. Before he sat down, he would say that Miss Hunter and others equally interested hoped to see the surplus appropriated without delay to the repairing of the parsonage drain and pump and woodshed 
and the building of a new fence in front of the parsonage. Sanctuary though it was, and in the presence of deacons, elders, board of trustees, and dignitaries of all sorts, when this report was concluded, the small boys began to stamp, and, some way, nobody seemed disposed to stop them. Instead, the older ones, some of them, followed this example, encouraged by the waving of many handkerchiefs in the hands of the ladies. Who could help it? The reproach of Israel was taken away, and the parsonage was to have a new fence. Actually, we had money in our pockets with which to pay for that fence. We were free. If we had only been a poor church, struggling for existence, and had made such a noble lift as this, how proud we could have been. But as it is, said Miss Priscilla, when I called on her the next morning to talk over all these wonderful results, Mr. Merchant with his hundred thousands, and Mr. Ritchie with his stocks and bonds, and Mr. Hordwell with his real estate and taxes, were about the only ones who bubbled over into speeches about our noble effort. For my part, I can't see that we have done anything but our duty, and the shame is that we didn't do it long ago without any fuss. Some of our folks, though, have done more than their duty. They have been generous and can afford to rejoice. If I had a hundred thousand dollars and had given one hundred of it, and my neighbor next door was working by the day at two dollars and had given ten of them, somehow I don't believe I should have felt like making a big speech about our sacrifices. But that's neither here nor there. Speeches don't hurt anybody, especially after the work is done, and some folks like to make them. Let em do it, I say. I'm willing to listen. The debt is paid anyhow, and that old clattering fence around the parsonage that has been a regular thorn sticking into every bit of flesh on my body is to come down. You better believe that I'm glad of it. I can sew in peace now, and I'll burn two lamps at once every night for a week. See if I don't. The End End of Section 5